0: This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 46 is Jungian analyst Margaret Clank. After training with the American Conservatory Theater, Ms. Clank embarked on a 20 year acting career, appearing on stage, television, and film. Later, she entered the Union Theological Seminary, where she earned a Master of Divinity and then went on to the C.G. Jung Institute of New York, where she became certified as a Jungian analyst. For seven years, Miss Clank served as president of the Jungian Psychoanalytic Association, where she currently teaches and supervises. She is also an associate member of the Philadelphia Association of Jungian Analysts, and represents the JPA on the Executive Council of the International Association for Analytical Psychology. She has lectured and taught both nationally and internationally, including stints as guest lecturer for the Jung Institute of Lithuania and the British Jungian Analytic Association. Ms. Clank is co-author of The Rest is Silence, Selected Letters of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, a staged reading, which she has performed at various psychoanalytic institutes and conferences, including the Freud Museum in London in 2015. And she was a participant in Nine Conversations, roundtable discussions on the PBS series The Question of God, Sigmund Freud, and C.S. Lewis. Her most recent publications include Jung in the Academy and Beyond, the Fordham Lectures, 100 Years Later, for which she served as co-editor, and two books in which she is a featured interviewee, Visible Mind, Movies, Modernity, and the Unconscious by Jungian analyst Christopher Hauck, and There's a Mystery There, The Primal Vision of Maurice Sendak by the journalist Jonathan Cott. This month, Ms. Klang presented at the annual Jung on the Hudson Conference in upstate New York. Her presentation, Analysis as Self-Portraiture, and her workshop on self-portraits are the subjects of our talk today. This interview is being recorded on Monday, July 15th, 2019 through the magic of Skype. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, You are actually in upstate New York right now. I am.
1: I'm in in Rhinebeck, New York. I
0: finished the lecture about an hour
1: ago, so it's still humming around my ears.
0: (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about this conference. Now, this is held every year Mm -hmm. in Rhinebeck, Mm -hmm. and there are, are several analysts who do presentations, and it's all week long, right?
1: Yes, it's. Um, it, it, they usually pick a theme. This year it's about authenticity and self and persona. And um, then they invite five or six analysts of, of various stripes, and we all give papers and then run workshops. One of the things that's terrific about it is that people, the participants, are from all across the country they're people, some of them are analysts, some of them are therapists, some of them are teachers, some of them are are lawyers, some of them are you know from all walks of life, all ages and stages, mm-hmm. but they've all been affected by Jung in some way. They've all been drawn to Jung, they've all have remarkable stories of the impact of Jungian thought and process in their lives, so they're they're really keen. To hear from analysts, they're really keen to talk about this stuff, and it's a unlike a professional conference where you're sort of building a, a reputation. Mm-hmm. This is a really joyful um, depth exploration for a week with with people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, now that's really good to hear because just in as as an aside, I would like to say that I get email from people kind of all over the world because of this podcast i'm going on four years now and Mm. listeners are finding it all the time and so it's new to them and they'll tell me that they just binged all the episodes (laughs) and
2: wonderful
0: yeah and i had a young man write to me this week who is interested in he's studying psychology and he's interested in in going further in his studies and he said that um He he asked me for advice on where to go because he said that Jung is frowned upon in the academic community that he's involved with, and I I I guess I was surprised to hear that because I thought you know still really
1: yeah yeah no it's dreadful you know it's it's it goes all the way back to the Freud Jung split Mm. and the. well, I'll call it prejudice,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the anger, the jealousy of the coterie around Freud of Jung, because Freud called Jung his son and heir. They were they were inseparable. They, he really saw Jung as the face of psychoanalysis going forward. And then after six years, they couldn't go forward. They tried and they really had too many disagreements and it fell apart. And And so Jung became the bad guy, and when most of the the doctors in America, um, uh, the psychiatrists, Mm -hmm. were Freudian, right? So they basically—I don't mean to blame them—but this was part of the movement. They kind of blackballed Jung in America, in particular, Um, and it just hasn't recovered. It's hard because it's not systematic the way Freud is, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. Jung's so far-reaching. He's going he has he has so many irons in the fire, so many balls in the air that it's not a systematic process reading Jung. There is a system and there is a method and it's a clinical method. That's what people don't understand that that for all of Jung's wanderings into that metaf- metaphysics mm-hmm. and alchemy and so on. It's a clinical method that Jungians use. It's just as clinical as anybody else's. But it's really a shame. It is such a shame that he's still um, regarded as a renegade or, uh, you know, Winnicott's terrible description of, of the suspicion that, that Jung was schizophrenic because of the Red Book, mm-hmm. which is absurd. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just absurd.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then, of course, there's there's the whole misunderstanding about Jung's work during the war trying to keep the um, European um, Psychoanalytic Association going that got him into so much trouble because he was dealing with the German government. And it, it's, uh, there's so many, so many reasons why this is still a prejudice, but mm-hmm. it's a prejudice.
0: Mm-hmm. And Do you you see it changing? Do you see the work that analysts are doing today or even, even something like this podcast and my presence on Twitter with sharing the work of analysts today? Do you see that as helping to change that?
1: Absolutely. I think we have to take every opportunity and what you're doing is so beautiful because you're assuming that it's good work. You're assuming that it's good news. And people don't have to, they can just listen, they can get it, they can eat the good food. I think the podcast, I think uh, collaborative conferences, so we're not just Jungians talking to Jungians and Freudians talking to Freudians and, and, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. other groups talking to other groups Mm -hmm. that we start talking to each other so that we can understand that we're all talking with just hands on the same elephant, you know? It's just Mm -hmm. different ways of looking at it. The other thing is, I just will put in a plug for the International Association of Unlegable Psychology, which is the IAP, the big international organization. Mm -hmm. We are starting to foster lots and lots of congresses and conferences in universities, in collaboration with universities, so that we are bringing Jung back into the university, and then the university can get a taste of what is really going on
0: okay would you say a little bit more about that now wh- what is involved with that well
1: for instance um, the the book you mentioned that I helped co-edit on young um, in the Academy and beyond the JPA my society in New York co-hosted with Fordham University uh, a two or three-day Congress conference um, at the 100th anniversary of Jung coming to give lectures at Fordham, because Jung was brought to, to Fordham to give lectures, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was, and, well, it was uh, 1913. So we did a conference where we had people from Fordham and Jungians uh, talking, giving papers, talking to each other, looking at the history, looking at, at um, where this was when yeah. it was still popular, um, we still have a relationship with Fordham, and we got to publish the book because of Fordham, you know, I because see. of the emperor of Fordham. So uh, Vilnius, the uh, congress w- conference we had at in in Vilnius University, we could use their facilities, they, and their students came and their faculty came. So it's not one person trying to get a course on Jung mm-hmm. at the university. If we can bring the work in terms of a conference, um, we start having collaboration, which gives both sides more prestige. Um, I helped organize a conference at Yale, for instance, a couple of years ago. So it's getting back.
0: It's getting back. And I know that it didn't help with the publication of the Red Book uh, with questions about Jung's state of mind But on the other hand, what I've noticed is that because Jung was struggling and in so much pain psychologically during that time, Mm -hmm. other people can relate to that, right? Absolutely. If we're honest with ourselves, we can all remember a time when we struggled. And he did so, so I I don't want to say openly, because I think he kept that He kept it pretty quiet. Yeah, Yeah, but he did something with his struggle and with his pain, right? His active imagination. I would say that,
1: yeah, absolutely. He did something essential. And it's a model for us. Not that we're going to write our own, you know, not that we have to follow anything that he understood about himself. That's personal. But the model of going deep in active imagination encountering those inner figures, mm-hmm. believing in them, working with them, and coming back up to the surface and thinking about it is is the model of uh, that everybody can use. I think the Red Book really opened the thing up. Yeah. People couldn't couldn't get enough of the Red Book. It's still being translated and published. They, they can't get over it at the yeah. publishing company. And people talk about it all the time. So yes, it, it made... Some people went, see, he was... He was crazy, but more people are saying, no, no, that's real. That's that's a way to understand oneself
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how brave he was, because he was extraordinarily brave. Yes. Man. The yes. courage it took to do that without a whole theory underneath him,
0: you know? Right. He didn't it's have a
1: Jung. He didn't have a Jung, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And he no longer had a Freud. Mm-hmm. Because it happened right, he started really descending after the the break
0: with Freud. But I think that the way that it is seen as Jung was schizophrenic, Jung was losing his mind, uh, he was having a psychotic break, which I don't see it that way at all, is a reflection of the way we treat mental illness, I don't like to use that term, or mental health in this country, Mm -hmm. instead of looking at it as okay what's happening here what's going on here how do we move forward what's psyche trying to tell us all the things we do yeah all the things we do in analysis instead the way that mental health is looked at in our society is it's pathologized right it's Mm -hmm. treated with medication so we never get to the underlying issues we just treat the symptoms or lock people up. So maybe the Red Book is helping us see that this is all of us.
1: I think so. I think that would be great if it was helping in that way because it is all of us. We all have stuff to go in and gather up. We all have terrifying pieces. We all have to take our, our sense of self, and put it next to the way we've developed our personas, our cultural identities, our family pressures on us, you know, the way we're supposed to be, all the shoulds. We all have that stuff that isn't necessarily our true self. And mm. it, will, it requires a descent. It requires the courage to go in and encounter oneself deeply. And then come back up and put that into some form, some narrative that you can hold on to. It,
0: mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a safe thing to do on one's own, right? Well, it it isn't.
1: It isn't safe if you don't have things to ground you yeah. in your life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to be in an analysis, although I would highly recommend it, of course, yes. but. as long as you have, I mean, Jung had a wife and children and and he still saw his patients Mm -hmm. and he was a respected doctor in, you know, conservative Switzerland. I mean, he had a lot of things to hold on to Mm -hmm. when he was going through all that. So Mm -hmm. it's not safe if you have nothing, no tether, no anchor. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, so you can't just sort of go off, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you won't, maybe not be able to find yourself back. Mm-hmm. But the other thing to say about it is that it's, there's that great quote from Narnia, where the um, one of the kids asks uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver if Aslan is safe. I don't know if this is a reference anybody's going to know, but I'll tell the story anyway. Aslan's the great lion in in. In the story, in Narnia, and uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and and the, the Missus Beaver says, "Oh no, dear, the lion Aslan's not safe, but he's good." And I would say it's not safe. I mean, you could get you can get hurt. Yeah. But it's it's the kind of suffering that is productive. It's the kind of suffering. Where you can bring up the gold, it's it's kind of alchemical suffering. Mm-hmm. It has suffering with meaning,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and it can be scary, but it's it's good scary. If that mm-hmm. made any sense, yes. or, does that make any sense at
0: all. Yes, yes, okay. it did to me. I I've been there, and okay. <laughs> I I also want to say because. one of the things I hear the most from people is they don't have anybody to talk to about these sorts of things with, and they can't talk to their family and they can't talk to their coworkers and they can't talk to their friends about these things because they always say to me, they're going to think I'm nuts.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, on the one hand is terribly sad. And on the other hand, is well I should say it this way not only is that sad but it's it's um it's not really true because everybody's got this
2: stuff. right they're right. just
1: not owning it mm-hmm. so oftentimes you get pushback from somebody because they recognize themselves in your quest for a true self and they're just too scared which doesn't make it any easier but it's not because you're crazy it's because you're you're questing for your true self and a relationship to your true self. And that's our human nature. Jung talks about the the urge to individuate is is in everybody. It's just scary. And so one of the things I would recommend, I recommend to people, and I mm-hmm. would recommend to people who you're talking about now, is to to. Try to find a good medium, whether it's you're writing songs or you're writing poetry or you're, uh, you're drawing. I did a whole lecture day on, on self-portraiture. Um, you're drawing your images or you're making stories about these images that come up with a, uh, a kind of once-upon-a-time story of, of what you're feeling so that it's it, you have a relationship To the questions you're asking. You're not just asking them into the void. So drawing, painting, singing, um, uh, poetry, something where after you've done the deep work, you can close the book or put the violin away or, you know, and, and, and get back into life and go make dinner. Did, did that, did
0: you know yeah, what I mean? Yes, exactly.
1: It's very important not to just say, listen, nobody will understand this, so I won't do it. Mm-hmm. That, that's not okay either. Mm-hmm. It, you will understand it. And the mm-hmm. more you can start to understand it, and you have a conversation between your ego and yourself, and you have a conversation with your inner characters and your dreams, you will start to understand and then that will be reflected in the way you are in the world and you will start meeting people who understand you yes it's a little like the ugly duckling story you know he tried and tried and tried to fit in but he didn't know he wasn't a duck he's actually a swan yes and once he understood that he found his people so to speak yes so don't give up i would say to the people who feel they're isolated and nobody's going to get it put it into a medium put it into some medium that's not just you churning on yourself so that you have a relationship to your own material and and you will start to feel freer to express it
0: I love that thank you i'm definitely going to point people to what you just said so you mentioned that you had just given a lecture on self-portraits and Mm -hmm. i'd like to talk a little bit about the presentation you gave today at jung on the hudson being authentic the dance between persona and true self the persona has been a big topic on this podcast this year Because of BTS's new album, Map of the Soul Persona, Mm -hmm. I've uh, covered it on a couple of episodes already, and I would love to explore it further. And so when I saw the topic of your presentation, it it caught my eye. Um, I'd like you to tell us what you talked about today in your presentation called Analysis as Self-Portraiture. Okay, I'll give you
1: a sort of cliff note of it. The the idea, I did two things. I, I looked at self-portraits as a particular kind of portrait in history of portrait, a little bit of art history.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I mentioned that you can tell a self-portrait from a portrait because there's an intensity in the eyes, a questioning. Is this me? Do I, am I this? Who am I? Whereas portraits are more, this is who I am. Portray me for the world, you know. So there's this questing and and ruthless questioning in self-portraits, and I made the connection that analysis also has that kind of ruthless questioning, looking for a a truth, a real truth about oneself, um, and that then I made the the. Um, I don't know, the, the idea, I put forth the idea mm-hmm. that self-portraiture, analysis fosters self-portraiture, that every single session of an analysis, another piece of self-portrait gets painted, another piece of self-expression gets into the room. These can be terrible, they can be scary, they can be ugly, they can be beautiful, but they're self-expressions. Self expressions and they start accumulating the way a dream sequence can accumulate, and you start to find a, a, a relationship to one's true self. One of the premises of this talk was that often people's self expressions, self portraits, if you will, mm-hmm. um, are rejected by their families, by their culture, and and their persona. Is, is built as a reaction against that wound. Mm, okay. So I told the story of a little girl, I will tell it very briefly, in kindergarten, who the assignment was to make self-portraits. All the little kids were making self-portraits. Yeah. And uh, the teacher went around and held up all the portraits for everybody to see. And she said to this one little girl, oh, no, no, no. This doesn't look like you. You have to do your self-portrait again. And how crazy that was. And the little girl was totally devastated. And the class of these little five-year-olds were just, this is a true story. They were really freaked out. Because how can you do a self-portrait wrong? Mm. They were still young enough to to say, okay, that's what I look like. You know, they weren't self-conscious about it. So that's the way we get wounded. That kind of refusal to Mm. accept your self-portrait is the beginning of narcissistic wounding, It's the beginning of splitting inside, it's the beginning of uh, fear of not being loved, it's the beginning of self-hatred, and out of that come complexes, of course, that's the basis of that kind of of wounding, but also if we want to talk about persona, it it means that your authentic persona as, look, I'm this is myself as artist. Look, I've done my painting. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of uh, taking on that sense of self uh, isn't authentic. It's warped. It becomes a mask of, the, uh, of a defense. No, I'm not a painter. I'll never paint. I couldn't be an artist. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. You know, I'm a rational person or whatever the persona becomes. Or I'm ugly or I'm unlovable or whatever it is. So, if we want to talk about persona, there are useful, wonderful personas we all have in the world um, that we need. We need to be projected upon in a certain way um, as a parent or as a lover or as a student or as a teacher. but if we're if that persona is so far from our true self, it's um it creates terrible despair and and anger and often great hostility.
0: So now, how is the persona different from the self?
1: Well, the self is the archetype of wholeness. So it's it's an archetype. It is a it's both a a, a reality and a becomingness because archetypes are always are both a potential and a a source of instinctual energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the self is a both and and it but it's an archetype. It's at the very deepest layer of us. The the ego, to put the ego in the middle of this,
2: okay.
1: is is the complex of consciousness as Many of your listeners will know the a complex has an archetypal core, so the the ego complex, which is the consciousness complex, has the self at the core of it. The persona is works in tandem with ego in that it 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 collaborates with consciousness. It says, "I want to be seen this way i I I want um I invite this projection. So I'm um, trying to think of an example. Um a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have a certain persona when you're teaching because mm-hmm. it, it invites people to listen to you. You have a persona on this on this show. Right. You know that, that that you are the one leading people to these ideas and investigating it with your guests. Um So in that way, it's, if it's, if this is your calling, then your persona in doing these is in alignment with yourself. If this is your vocation, if this is part of your true work, then the persona of being the interviewer and the thoughtful questioner is, is in alignment. If, if because of your traumas and complexes and history, your persona is one of, um, uh, you know, you're a, a. I don't mean to say anything about bad about bankers, but you know, you're there to make money, mm-hmm. right? And and it's not anything to do with yourself. Then it's a then it's a reaction formation against culture. That wasn't a good example. Let me think of a better example. Banker is not the point. The point is, if you were made to do this podcast, if somebody were making you do it mm-hmm. and you didn't want to do it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you'd have to come up with a false persona. Ah, okay. You'd have to come up with a false identity. You'd have to come up with a character of yourself that wouldn't be in alignment with yourself.
0: So like people would say you're faking
1: it. You're faking it and you mm-hmm. would be. Mm-hmm. And the fact is there's a huge difference between faking it, like lying, basically, you know, I'm smarter than I am or whatever. And and not quite, you know, and 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 who you truly are. Yeah. Also, you have to look at shadow. Because shadow, which is everything that's been exiled, from consciousness, everything about yourself you don't want to know, um, is in counterpoint to persona, which usually has a very positive spin on itself. You know, it's it's how you'd like to be seen in the world, right? So it's also in a kind of dance with with shadow as well.
0: I'd like to use myself as an example here um, because mm-hmm. I, I like to point out that shadow isn't just evil qualities oh, or no. bad qualities. Right. I think that part of what's in my shadow is I am, let's just say I'm over 40 and mm-hmm. I, I don't have children and I never wanted to be a mother. I always knew that my whole life. And I think that that is part of my shadow, because it Mm -hmm. is something that I disown. I don't have any motherly instincts. I don't like to take care of people. I don't, all that stuff makes me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not nurturing. (laughs) Um, So I consider that now that mothering is not an evil quality. It's something that I say, that's not me. Yes. So would you say that is a shadow quality for me?
1: Well, I would say it is either a shadow quality for you, but you know about it. But anyway, I would say it's either a shadow quality for you or it's a true self quality. And shadow, shadow we've my experience of shadow is that we're not so conscious of it it it's something that's been cast out of consciousness and we it's really we don't even know about it anymore
0: so even if we've done work on it in analysis if we've uncovered it
1: that's right and then yes no then it's not sort of active shadow anymore it's not going to come up and bonk you on mm-hmm. the head okay so yes no you are completely right it is shadow material for you but you've done the work on it and and therefore when you do the work on shadow material and you integrate the shadow material it becomes true self I see. because you're owning your mm-hmm. relationship to it
2: mm-hmm.
1: right mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't keep coming up and you don't find yourself i'm assuming you know, being hostile to people walking down the street with baby carriages.
0: Well, it did. I was that way.
1: Well, a long that time would be sha- that right. really
0: shadow, yeah, right? Right. And so that's when I realized, okay, I need to take a look at this because, you know, why am I having these reactions to women with children or and children exactly. and and all these these moms, these groups of moms? You know, why is it triggering me?
1: Yes, that's it.
0: So that's perfect example of shadow.
1: And And you're so right to lift up it's not bad qualities, it's just qualities that have been exiled
2: mm-hmm.
1: right mm-hmm. So somebody who is raised in a in a family where um the mother is very envious and the daughters aren't allowed to be beautiful, their beauty goes into shadow. You mm-hmm. know they don't know how beautiful they are, for instance, mm-hmm. but your example is even is 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 exactly right, exactly right. And I think people shouldn't be afraid, therefore, of, of, it's not just, oh, I've I've got a bank robber in my soul. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's much more subtle than
0: that. Mm-hmm. So you also did a workshop on self portraits. And I was wondering if you would tell us what that involved and that was today as well right
1: well actually the workshop is tomorrow you're getting me okay so (laughs) what i'm going to have people do um is we've got two hours with a break so i'm going to have them and they're very nervous about this because everybody gets so nervous about drawing which is they
0: know about it then
1: they know about
0: it. But so these I'm were concerned. the people in your presentation, and you told yes, them tomorrow? The, okay, is the workshop. Yeah,
1: so they know to come to bring any art supplies they, they have, and if they want to bring a little mirror or something. But you don't need a mirror to do a self-portrait. Anyway, mm-hmm. they're going to do portraits. I'm going to ask them to do three. First of all, I'm going to do a bunch of um, relaxation, throwing bopping uh, balloons around and getting everybody sort of in a spontaneous Ceiling, you know, so they're not so scared. And then they're gonna. I'm going to ask them to do three self-portraits: one immediate of right now, one of, and the other two of other times in their lives. One of them as a as a young young person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we're going to um, talk about that experience. And for the second half, I'm going to ask them to pick one of those and do a. a like a series of self-portraits around that time whatever it is so that they can get both the, the experience of it but also to do as I realize now what I was advising your listeners to do which is to start building tools and self exercises to to not interrogate oneself but to question oneself to encourage oneself To foster curiosity as opposed to fear so that my hope is that after this workshop they'll have a way of sitting themselves down and drawing themselves and seeing what's there today I told them today and I'll tell you um, your listeners that for a couple of years I would on once I got to work I'd get to work early at my my office Mm -hmm about 15 minutes early, and I would just draw a self-portrait, just spontaneously, whatever was up. It could have been a dream image from that the previous night. It could be just a feeling. It could be uh, whatever. It just took a, you know, a couple of strokes across the, the page with a red crayon. Okay. And then I would close it down and um, close the book and go to work. Uh, and the next day I would do it again. And at the end of a few weeks and a few months, I had a real journal yeah. of images, spontaneous images of me and myself each morning. It was so helpful.
2: Yeah. It was
1: nonverbal. It was non, um, I didn't have to analyze it, but it was so illuminating about as the colors would switch, I would be in a blue period or a pink period or a or the, I would be focusing on my eyes or I'd be focusing on my feet or, uh, you know, uh, it it was so helpful to ground me. And I didn't think about it. I just did it each yeah. morning. And um, so I was encouraging them to do that, whether they're going to do it or not. But it, any discipline like that is so grounding and gets you in touch with self. It really does get you connected uh, in, a, in an experiential way. Because we can live in our heads, you know, we can live in thinking. Mm-hmm. And thinking's great, I'm the thinking type, but we have to get in our bodies. It's a really that. exciting thing, and there's no pressure, you know. You just mm-hmm. get a box of crayons or a box of pencils and do it, and then close the book, go to the next day.
0: And, it, and you can look back through it just like
1: people well, that, look back yeah. through
0: their journals. Yeah.
1: That's right. And, and if you're in tune with the imagery, you know, Jung said psyche is image yeah. that, that our psyches are simply made up of images that, that we are we don't exist without images. We are primarily image, image makers, image eh, language is image, everything's image. Um, Hillman says, "Stick to the image. That's that's what we do. So yeah, you'd have a you have a whole book of of images. You don't need to convert those into language. It's like when people do sand tray, or people do active imaginations, and they bring the work in to show an analysis. We don't interpret it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We just share it. It doesn't need words.
0: It doesn't no. need words. Yeah.
1: It can." Be effective without words is what I mean.
0: In the description for your presentation, you mentioned that sometimes or actually often people fall into depression or anxiety because their sense of self no longer seems real, accurate, or trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So is that what you were talking about before about this false persona? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, it that's, yes, a false persona, or uh, that's a kind of term a lot of people use, and I use it too. But I think it's better to say a persona that's out of alignment. Okay, a persona that's not reflecting some aspect of self.
0: And and how do we get there into this persona? Into that, that's, yeah, that's out of alignment?
1: Well, we get there bec either because Nobody is reflecting us back when we have true expressions of ourselves.
0: And what's an example of that?
1: Well, like the girl who did the self-portrait in the okay. teacher said, oh, that doesn't look like you. So that's a concrete example. But in, in more um, social examples, you um, you tell a joke. You're the kind of kid who tells jokes out of because you're funny. You mm-hmm. you see the world in a funny way. It's just who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe your family is good at jokes and you're just a joke teller. Um, you have that wit in you, but nobody gets your jokes. The kids around you, your schoolmates are just not they're not getting it. And after a while, you you stop telling jokes, right? You stop expressing yourself in your own sort of inimical way and The persona that comes across, you might develop quite a contrary persona, a very glum person or a sort of Eeyore person or a, um, you know, that's not funny, or very critical person. Mm -hmm. So it's a complex, of course, but personas are related, False, these false personas are related to complexes. That's another way to say it. Mm-hmm. So so you'd get a persona and people say, oh, he's such a stick in the mud, yeah. when actually his true self is a wonderful, jokey, light, trickstery kind of character, but he's been so rejected that it goes into shadow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so that would be a false persona. Um, people who are lying about themselves, they're lying about their sexual orientation, they're lying about their economic situation. They're lying about their uh, intellectual, what they think of is supposed to be their intellectual prowess. They're they're liars, you know, they're lying that they're in happy relationships. Um, and they built a life around those lies. Those are false personas.
0: And we get there because of the lack of reflection, the lack of validation from other people. Lack, is this-
1: Yes, the lack of acceptance of your original self-portrait, of your original self sense of self that you offer to the world. You offer, this is who I am to the mm. world. And if it's not loved, if it's not seen, if it's not respected, you're going to pull it back. You're, you're not going to keep offering it.
0: So my question right? is: Right, it, does this necessarily have to start in childhood? No. Or does it typically start in childhood? Or no?
1: No. I mean, it typically starts in childhood, it, but complexes start in childhood. Mm-hmm. So it's, I would say, uh, a persona, a sort of false, false self in a Winnicottian sense. F- false persona, or a persona that's very far from self, is the result of complexes that don't let you be your true self. Okay. So, so if um, this is a, this is a common thing, you're the you're the extrovert in a family of introverts. So by the time you're, you know, six you're completely confused.
2: Okay.
1: You're, you're completely confused. You have no way of being yourself. Everybody's criticizing you. The, the family complex means that you, you have, you're just totally left-footed. And, and it, your persona is going to be trying like crazy to adapt to the family, to the family complex, to the family typology, and you, you, just, you just can't win. You mean to, to get you,
0: along, to fit in. To get along,
1: to fit in, to be loved. Mm-hmm. This is about love, right? This right. is about, you know, this little girl wanted to redo her self-portrait because she wanted to be loved. Okay. She wasn't loved in her first self-portrait,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? This happens because we feel unloved. We feel unsafe. We feel that the culture... And the the collective want certain things, all the shoulds. You know, you should be thin. You should be smart. You shouldn't be fragile. You shouldn't be needy. You shouldn't be too much. You're, you know, all those things that society says, right? Mm -hmm. We're always in a dance with being part of our societies, wanting to be part of our societies and our cultures, There's really important things about being part of your culture. And dancing, the other side of it is, but that's not expressing my true self. And I'm so afraid that if I express my true self, I'll be rejected.
0: So what I'm hearing here is that this is the thought that just keeps coming to me um, while we've been talking, is that we need to accept each other as we are, right? Mm -hmm. And and accept our differences. Yes. Yes. And encourage. One of the ways we do that, because I totally agree, one
1: of the ways we do that is to listen more than speaking. Mm. Because if we're really listening to each other and questioning with that deep curiosity that one has in self-portraiture and in analysis, but that deep curiosity, like, well, who are you, it, it means that they're free to start expressing it. And then we can be free to start expressing ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think one of the first keys in expre- accepting everybody as who they are mm-hmm. is to listen to them.
2: Yeah.
1: Because we're all projecting all the time. And and we're all casting our shadows on everybody and, and judging all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the first steps is to simply ask questions and listen to the answers and let yourself be surprised. And then it's much easier to accept somebody else's story.
0: Do you well, know what I mean? Yeah, that? and w- that makes a lot of sense. And when I find myself looking at somebody sideways or starting to judge them, I try don't. I'm not always successful, but I try to tell myself, you know, that's me too. Yes. Whoever that person is, hard, though. it it is hard. Um, but it with practice, it it mm-hmm. does get easier. And you're right. Uh, analysis it, works. It it it, it really it cha- does. It changed me. It changed me a lot. Yeah. I'm still who I am at the core, but it's it's changed a lot of things and and it is easier for me to say you know that's me too i have that too
1: yes yes you know it's 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 wonderful to hear and and it's i, I had the same experience in my own analysis so i'm not oh, sitting outside of it
2: mm-hmm.
1: it it does change your life it 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 changes it in ways you don't expect and it changes it yeah. in ways that yourself capital s is just waiting for you know so you'll come home mm-hmm. to yourself in a way mm-hmm. So it, 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 yeah it this this sense of being willing to see yourself reflected see other people's struggles as also your own
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's a religious tenant it's a psychological tenant it's it's um it's the human it, it's the human gesture you know we're born curious about each other and, and that gets tamped down. So this idea that analysis, which is all about curiosity, all about curiosity, can help and heal is just a beautiful yes. thing and it's true and it works. When people, I always say that the antidote to fear and the antidote to anxiety and the in a way, even the antidote to depression is curiosity, and not and first curiosity about self, but then curiosity about other, because Jung talks about individuation as not ending with the self. Mm-hmm. You have to bring what you've learned back into the world, yes. which is what you're doing with this podcast, with what people are doing when they talk to each other about Jung, about Their experience and analysis, about their experience with art, about their experience with self. They're bringing it back into the collective, and that heals the collective. That heals across the boards.
0: That's such a wonderful way to put it. There's this amazing poem
1: by Derek Walcott. It has to do with, um, it's called Love After Love. By Derek Walcott, W A L C O okay. T T, and it's. Um, it was at the end of my presentation because I'd been talking about the fierceness of of the love and uh, of self-portraiture, the the curiosity. What we were just talking about, the antidote to fear, and and this is a poem about about losing love, about being heartbroken, but it's. Equally to my ear and heart and mind, a poem about self-portraiture, self-expression, true self-expression, persona and ego and self in alignment. It's, it's a, it's a poem about what happens in an analysis to me. So I'll just mm-hmm. read it to you. Okay. It's called Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome, and say, sit, here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you.
1: Yes, you're welcome. I think it's a wonderful description of the analytic process. Mm. And I think it talks about persona. When your persona is true, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's welcome. Your persona and yourself and your ego and your shadow and then, of course, your anima anonymous can dance together. They're all working on your own behalf. When the persona is, is wrong headed, when it's being controlled by the culture or the complexes, it works against the self. So I think that's another way to talk about persona.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: It was a joy to speak with you.
0: We really appreciate your time today. Please visit the website, speakingofjung.com for more information on everything that was discussed here today. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and now on iHeartRadio. With special thanks to you, the listener, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.